0: This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Kate Fink, Senior Director of Managed Care at Trinity Health of the Mid-Atlantic. Kate, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today.
1: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: Now, I'm excited for our conversation because I know there's a lot happening in healthcare, and the managed care space in particular, and that's such an important part of Hospital health systems business, so I, I think this will be a very important conversation for us today. But before we dive into my questions, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and your background?
1: Sure, um, I had a a, a very uh, different background, um, weaving and and stuff to where I am today. Uh, I actually started in the clinical labs, mainly in transfusion medicine. And with that, I did a lot of teaching of pathology and hematology residents and fellows. We were involved in clinical trials and research. I did a lot of technical writing. Um, And then uh, through all of that, I moved to um, the insurance payer side, Um, first as a rep, and then quickly transferring over to contracting. And there, my clinical background gave me credibility with the providers. And it also allowed me to give the um, provider's perspective to the payers. Um, And a lot of times the folks there weren't clinical people and so didn't always understand some of the clinical operations and side of things. And then I moved on, blending my clinical lab and my payer background to do payer strategy and contracting for a national lab. Um, And there it was. Similar things, only on a much grander scale. Uh, And then from there, uh, I used that experience to move to managed care um, for Trinity Health of the Mid-Atlantic, working on contracting value-based agreements, developing payer partnerships, and all the challenges that go with that.
0: Wow, that's a fascinating journey. And I can imagine, you know, you learned a lot along the way from all your different experiences and being in so many different aspects of the healthcare space. How do you feel like those different experiences in your background has really helped you um, get good at what you're doing today?
1: Um, well, it's amazing how I use so many of those skills um, from each position in my next position. Um, You know, the the technical writing has really helped me with operational things um, and making sure we have processes and procedures documented, um, which is so important for an organization. Um, And then the clinical lab background gives you perspective from so many different aspects of um, disease and disease management uh, that you have a basic idea of what's happening in um, your hospitals and the kinds of things that become issues for um, those providers and those clinicians. Um, and then you know working on the payer side that clearly gave me an advantage in um, negotiating on the um, on the opposite side of the fence uh, because I understood where they were coming from and the ways that they operate Um, so that has really helped um, in each of the positions and the next positions I moved into
0: got it that makes a lot of sense you know and it's really great that you've had all that experience to bring you into where you're at today at Trinity Health so when you think about what's going on what are some of the issues that you're spending most of your time on right now what's really top of mind for you
1: Well, I think top of mind um, for me and for so many of uh, the health systems is the financial strain that uh, the post COVID era has put on um, the facilities and their operations. Um, So I spend a lot of my time um, outside of the actual contracting on recovery. Um, There's a big emphasis on revenue recovery. Um, Around the terms of the contracts, challenging payer policy changes, um, addressing the clinical downgrades and denials, and making sure that payments are correct because we want to get every last dollar that we possibly can. And we want to make sure that we're getting the expected yield from each of our contracts. Um, So when we do our negotiations, we work hard to get those contract language protections um, so that we can go back and challenge the payer around um, some of the changes that they make in their policies and and what have you. So that has become um, a big emphasis currently is around the revenue recovery post-COVID
0: absolutely and i can imagine with how large the health system is that you know it's no small task to really get the operations together and make sure that the teams are identifying those spaces where you can recover additional reimbursement per your contracts and and then actually carry out the process is there any i guess new trends along those lines or things that you've been noticing recently that you know, didn't used to happen, but are, are starting, you're starting to hear, I guess, from the payers that it is different from pre-COVID?
1: Um, I, I think there's been a, a much more in the way of um, tightening on their policies and, and making policy changes. Um, there's and and not that this is that new, but movement to more freestanding areas at the lower cost. Um, and if you're not an organization that's that's already been invested in those kinds of um, facilities and operations, you're you're starting out um, kind of behind the eight ball, if you will. Um, so that movement uh, is really uh, taking off in terms of driving business elsewhere, um, in terms of away from their traditional um, inpatient facilities and and the hospital owned outpatient, um, really driving it to freestanding and independent um, facilities.
0: Got it. That makes a lot of sense. And it's certainly something that, you know, it it seems like a trend nationally across different states and regions. So when you think about where we're at today and then look into the future, what really growth and investments make sense? What's your strategy as you're thinking about the next two years or so?
1: I think shifting the the payer-employer-provider paradigm. Um, You know, currently the way uh, things is the um, the payer kind of has control over the employer and the provider is just kind of on on the side so I think uh, there's there should be or is going to be a shift in that paradigm I mean we've already seen some of that with you know the direct contracting kind of eliminating the 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 payer um, out of that uh, relationship um, but I think the uh, the movement now or that I think we're going to move toward is moving the paradigm in that three-way relationship where the employer um, becomes the driver. And then the um, the payer and the providers have to work together um, to meet the employer's needs for for their employees. So I think that's going to be where, Um, the relationship uh, decides, uh, you know, payments, coverage, control, that kind of thing. Um, And like I said, there's little to no relationship between the employer and provider uh, currently. So I think that shift uh, to put the employer at the top of the three-way relationship is where um, we're going to be looking to move things down the road. Um, And hopefully that means more of a payer-provider partnership. I mean, we talk a lot about payer-provider partnerships now, but um, those partnerships don't really include the employer. Uh, And so I think that this change in the paradigm would really help those partnerships and move those partnerships to more meaningful relationships. The other thing that I think we want to do in um, the, the next two years, and, and we've already made some movement, great movement in this area, is investment and growth in the communication aspect of healthcare. Um, you know, systems have come a long way in integrating uh, communications data, um, but it's frustrating for patients, especially when they're crossing over health systems and providers that aren't on the same platforms. And this is key to understanding the overall patient. Um, So I think that becomes uh, more important as we move um, forward in how we need to treat the patient. Um, You know, for patients, repeating the same information multiple times can lead to forgetting to remember stuff or mention items and be consistent in the information that they provide to each of the providers that they may have to interact with. So I think communication is going to be the other important thing in the relationship. And this plays into uh, what's important between the payer and the provider, because um, communications like around prior authorizations and, and, audits and all that administrative time we spend um, trying to communicate all that information drives up healthcare costs because we're spending so much administrative time when that should be devoted to um, clinical things. Um, And so I think some of the administrative processes are are just antiquated in how they communicate. Some of those things, you know, some some folks are still using faxes, and I think we really need to work on communicating better. the The other thing that um, I'm excited about, and um, at least in Pennsylvania, is legislation um, that is coming up for. Um, the relationship between payers and providers. Um, so that's another thing uh, that I think is is definitely coming down the pike uh, for not just Pennsylvania but a- across the country.
0: Absolutely, that sounds great, and I think especially as you mentioned, you know the the legislation and policy side of things can be such a challenge um, to get through, but it's great to hear that you've got some exciting things coming around the corner. When you think about, you know, um, as you're talking about that communication and administrative time between, um, you know, how you're working with the health plans and and patients and and others in the community, you know, um, and then looking at what's ahead, do you see technology playing a role in that? Or how do you see some of these, what will it take, I guess, to become the ideal of being efficient and effective with some of those communications and and then you know really um, bringing about what would be an ideal state for health systems and patients as well?
1: Well, I, I think you know one of one of the big providers in what I think of when I think of communication stuff around patient information is um the the EMRs. You know, we have moved, as as so many other facilities in the community has moved to the Epic platform, and that is amazing. I mean, I haven't been in the clinical arena for many years now, um, and I've just gotten a small glimpse at what Epic can do clinically, in terms of communicating things um, from provider to provider. Keeping that information together for that to see. And I think the barrier um, is, you know, when there's differences in platforms and those platforms don't easily communicate. So I think if there was a way that we could, you know, that connection between um, the different platforms in the future, that it's a seamless thing for the patient information to move around, uh, I think would be wonderful in terms of, you know, knowing everything about the patient when that provider sees them and not having to rely on the patient to give that information. Um, because like I said, some a lot of times it's not always that accurate.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that makes a lot of sense and is so helpful to know. Well, we've talked a lot about some great potential uh, things coming down the pipe, but is there anything else you're excited
1: about today? Uh, like I had mentioned previously, um, the legislation in Pennsylvania around prior authorization uh, requirements for payers uh, is just absolutely exciting to me. Um, it is providing um, specifics around turnaround time requirements, published criterias they're using to make the decisions, third-party um, uh, in third-independent um, relationships to um, make the final decision around you know medical necessity kinds of things. Um, these are the things that we struggle with to get into our contracts as um, protections um, for things that we feel the patient needs um, and for getting paid um, at the right level of care. Uh, and it's also critical for quality because when you're waiting for these prior authorizations, that means that patient is not Moving on to the to the correct level of care and getting what they need at that moment in time, um, and getting the right skill set they need for whatever um, happens to be going on. Um, it also adds to you know the length of stay for the facility waiting for that um, that prior authorization to come in. Uh, especially when they're transitioning care to another level. Um, this leads to higher costs for the facility. It also means that it reduces their ability to meet quality metrics, and that can play into reduced pay for their um, performance and performance outcomes that they may have um, with the payers. Um, so this you know, kind of goes circles back to where I started with what I spend most of my time on revenue recovery. Um, so this legislation I feel is going to help, um, achieve that, uh, triple aim care in the right place at the right time. And at the most cost effective price.
0: That's fantastic. And hopefully more states follow suit and, and follow uh, Pennsylvania's lead. That's great.
1: And I know that, um, CMS is, is looking at these same issues. Um, so um, I'm excited about that. Um, and at least that uh, Pennsylvania can kind of take the lead on moving that forward, too. Absolutely.
0: Well, Kate, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fun conversation. and I look forward to connecting with you again soon.
1: Great. It's been fun for me, too. Thank you so much.